KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Welcome in San Diego. It's Jade Hindman. Today we're talking about a couple of things on your ballot. From state assembly races to Prop 1, we'll break down the issues being prioritized. This is Midday Edition, connecting our communities through conversation. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. The March 5th primary is just around the corner, so KPBS is continuing its election coverage. Today, we dive into the California State Assembly. We asked two of our reporters to help break down some of the top races there. Scott Rod joins me now. He's one of our investigative reporters. Scott, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you here. And Jacob Ayer, our general assignment reporter. Jacob, welcome to you, too. It's great to be here. Great to have you both here with us. So, Scott, I'll start with you. What does a state assembly member do? A state assembly member represents Californians, their constituents in the state assembly, and they pass laws at the state level. They legislate and they work with the state Senate and the governor's office to pass a state budget. So they uh, have a pretty significant hand in determining where money goes. And there's a lot of money uh, that flows through the state government. You know, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars uh, that are in the state budget. And the assembly members have a pretty important say in how that money's divvied up. And to be clear, all 80 assembly seats are up for election, right? Yeah, for the assembly, they're up for uh, election every two years. So all 80 seats will be up for election this year. All right. And Jacob, what are some of the top issues facing the assembly this year? I think it kind of depends on where you are in the district specifically, but I think across the state uh, budget, as Scott actually brought up in, in the general role, is a big idea, a uh, big topic that a lot of these different assembly races are focusing on. Housing and homelessness are going to be the other big two. And then specifically in the races I was covering, uh, environmental issues and infrastructure came up, uh, especially in Assembly District 79, where they recently dealt with flooding from the recent storms. Scott, do you have anything to add to that? Well, on the state budget, there's a pretty substantial deficit, depending on who you ask. It's in the tens of uh, billions of dollars. And so there are going to have to be some tough cuts coming somewhere or perhaps eliminations of some, you know, uh, one year, two year program. So that, that's going to be an ongoing conversation this legislative session. And then conversations about Proposition 47, this is something that uh, both Democrats and Republicans, there seems to be some overlap on. And again, Proposition 47 uh, was the ballot measure that changed the threshold for when someone uh, is charged, potentially charged with a felony for um, something like shoplifting or stealing. They raised the threshold from $450 to $900. There's been debate out there as to whether or not this has uh, created uh, or resulted in more shoplifting. 
increasing. Research has shown that the picture is a bit more complicated than just saying it's increased. But nevertheless, this is something where there's potentially some agreement between the two parties. Uh, And while Democrats have uh, a strong majority in the state legislature, getting some reforms passed on Prop 47 seems like it, it definitely could happen this year. And you're reporting on Assembly District 75. So what areas are in that district? So it's a pretty huge geographic footprint for an assembly district. It spans most of East San Diego County. So from Fallbrook out into the desert and then down to the border uh, from Hacomba Springs, Hacomba Hot Springs, you know, basically 50 miles west from there along the border. So it includes a pretty large stretch of the southern border. And that's made, you know, border security and immigration issues part of the debate. Usually the border doesn't necessarily enter into the conversation about state races because that's mostly handled at the federal level. But you have the candidates in this race, they're they're making this a key issue actually in the race, border security, immigration policy. So that that's something that's unique about this district, or I should say this and some of the other districts that that have the border. Mm. And there are quite a few candidates in this race. Uh, Republican Carl DeMaio is a familiar name. Uh, what can you tell us about who's running? So Carl DeMaio and Republican Andrew Hayes appear to be the two front runners in the race. Uh, Carl DeMaio, yes, definitely has a lot of name recognition in this area. He was formerly a San Diego City Council member. He ran for, unsuccessfully ran for uh, Congress a few times as well. Uh, he hosts a radio show and, and people definitely recognize that name down here in San Diego and, and statewide, frankly. Uh, Andrew Hayes uh, has worked for the state Senate minority leader, Brian Jones. Uh, he was the district director. Uh, He's also been he's done some school board work. So he also has name recognition down here and uh, has a pretty sizable, uh, you know, funding war chest. Uh, Not not quite as much as Carl DeMaio, but has raised a good amount of money. So those two appear to be the front runners. Uh, There is also a third Republican, Jack Fernandez, who has raised a few hundred thousand dollars for his campaign. And there are three Democrats, Kevin Jusa, Joy Frew. And Christy Doherty, uh, they have raised much less money in this race. This district is pretty reliably Republican based on voter registration and past races. So most people are looking at those Republicans and specifically Carl DeMaio and Andrew Hayes as the ones that will likely be headed to the general election uh, after the primary. You recently reported on DeMaio funding ads for Kevin Jusa. Some people, though, are surprised by that choice, considering Jusa is one of DeMaio's competitors and a Democrat, as you just mentioned. So what is DeMaio's strategy here? So this may sound counterintuitive and strange, you know, one um, candidate funding uh, ads and and even a whole website for another candidate, specifically a candidate of the opposite party. But this is something that is, one, totally allowable as long as the disclosures are there, but also a strategy that, you know, I've seen before. It's not totally unheard of. And essentially what the play here is, is that, you know, the top two vote getters in the primary move on to the general election, regardless of party. So it can be two people from the same party or two people from different parties. So if Carl DeMaio faces off against another Republican, uh, say Andrew Hayes, that'll be a tough 
competition for the for that core Republican base of voters. However, if he faces off against a Democrat, Carl DeMaio could pretty reliably capture that Republican voter base and probably peel off some no party preference voters as well. And that would be a much easier path to victory in the general election. So Carl DeMaio is kind of pushing this Democrat opponent uh, in the primary, anticipating that it'll likely be an easier opponent in the general election. Now, whether or not this will be successful, I would say the likelihood is low, uh, you know, just because it is such a reliably red district. But it is a strategy. It's a strategy I've seen before. So we'll see if it uh, pans out for him. Yeah, something we'll all be watching. Jacob, I want to talk about Assembly District 77. Which areas does that cover? Well, before we get into the areas, I just want to say Assembly District 77 and 79 both are very different uh, than 75, both much more reliably Democratic. Um, But specifically regarding 77, that's really going to be your northern coastal communities in San Diego County. So that's Carlsbad, Encinitas, and then all the way down through parts of the city of San Diego, and then Coronado as well. And Tasha Berner is in that seat currently. What can you tell us about her and her goals for the district? So she is the incumbent. She is running against two other candidates. Uh, Both of those other two candidates don't have any prior experience holding office. Uh, So she is looking like the front runner. And when I spoke with her, she told me her goals for the district are really more or less remaining the same. Environment for her was a big priority. And that makes sense when you look at issues that her district's been dealing with, with bluff failures and then ongoing issues with, uh, I guess, stabilization along the coast, which ties into uh, transit as well. And then outside of environment, she was talking about access to good jobs, healthcare and housing. And as we mentioned at the top, housing is an issue affecting everyone across the state uh, and especially in San Diego County. So no surprises there. You mentioned the two other candidates don't have previous political experience. What else can you tell us about who's running against Burner? So the two challengers that are going up against her, uh, the first one is Republican entrepreneur and financial advisor James Brown. And then the other one is Democratic autism researcher Henny Cooperstein. Uh, As I mentioned, neither of these two individuals have held office before, uh, but James Brown is running really on a platform of self-informed policy. He's someone who says that he has experienced homelessness before and can provide that perspective in a position where others might not be able to do so. And then Cooperstein is someone who actually has autism herself. She's outspoken about that and really wants to prioritize uh, financial responsibility and budgeting in the role. You're also covering District 79, which doesn't have an incumbent, and it appears to be a much closer race. First of all, which areas encompass AD 79? So AD 79 is going to be a lot closer to, I guess, kind of the heart of the county of San Diego. This is parts of southeast San Diego, La Mesa, El Cajon, Lemon Grove, and Spring Valley. And keep in mind, this area was by far the most heavily impacted by the recent flooding. So you might see that be part of these ongoing campaigns. And who are the candidates vying for this seat? So the candidates going out for the seat, as there is no incumbent, Akila Weber has currently been holding the role, but she's moving on. There's going to be three people, and they're all Democrats. The first is SDSU adjunct professor Lachey Sharp Collins, who actually has an endorsement from Weber. Uh, then there's La Mesa City Council member Colin Parent. He's also the CEO of Circulate San Diego. And then lastly, there is Lemon Grove Mayor Raquel Vasquez. So three qualified 
uh, candidates, all with some pedigree backing them and with varying degrees of endorsement as well. And like you mentioned, uh, it is Akilah Weber's seat currently. She is running for state Senate now. What might be her aspirations? So Weber's running for the what will be a vacant seat for Senate District 39. That's currently held by uh, Senate President Pro Tem, Tony Atkins. And as she's terming out this year, it's going to be for Weber, at least geographically, a very similar district to what she's currently covering in the state assembly. So that might be one of the reasons she's going out for it. And the other is that uh, Nathan Fletcher, who was planning to run uh, due to scandals that kind of rocked his own political world, has dropped out of that race, potentially giving her a bit of a boost. And back to the race in the 79th district. I mean, how important is Weber's endorsement in that? It definitely matters, as Lachey Sharp Collins does have the person who's in currently holding the seat's endorsement, as well as the endorsement of the California Democratic Party. And those things do matter. But along those same lines, Colin Parent, someone who's also raised a lot of money for this campaign, much like uh, Lachey Sharp Collins, he has endorsements of his own from big time local uh, Democratic politicians, including uh, State Assembly member David Alvarez, as well as Congressman Scott Peters, among many others. There's a slew of other Democrats backing him as well. And then in her own right, uh, Raquel Vasquez, she has one thing that the other two don't, and that is mayoral experience. So they do matter, these endorsements, but ultimately it comes down to a multitude of different factors. Hmm. So before we close out, what else should voters know or keep in mind as they fill out their ballots? I think, uh, I guess voting matters. Know your community, know which races that you're actually can vote in and be a part of. And then keep in mind that these are the primary elections. So as Scott had brought up earlier, the top two vote getters will go on to the November general. So vote now and then vote again in November. And know that there are multiple ways to vote in your races. You can mail in your ballot. You can submit it at a drop box. You can go in person to a vote center up until Election Day. And if you aren't registered right now, there are options for registering even up to Election Day. Uh, You can essentially cast you can cast a ballot while also registering for that same day on Election Day. And it'll still count. There is a process for that. And just know that there is an abundance of information out there about each candidate including uh, KPBS Voter Guide, which I would have to say I think turned out pretty great this year. I'm in agreement with you on that. (laughs) I've been speaking with investigative reporter Scott Rod and general assignment reporter Jacob Ayer. You can check out the rest of our election coverage and more again at our Voter Hub. That's at kpbs.org. Scott and Jacob, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Coming up, a proposition on the ballot aims to address a crisis in California. The state sort of has a dual homelessness and mental health crisis, and this is an attempt to address those things. But will it work? We'll talk about Prop 1 when we return. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. 
That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back to Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. Californians have one statewide ballot measure to vote on this primary, and that is Proposition 1. Supported by Governor Gavin Newsom, it could be the first major overhaul to California's mental health system in 20 years. Here to talk more about the measure is Kristen Huang. She reports on health care and policy at CalMatters. Kristen, welcome back. Hi, great to be here. Glad to have you here, Kristen. So there's two parts to this proposition. The first part looks at a bond that could drastically expand mental health services. Can you break that down for us? Certainly. So the bond, like you said, this proposal has two different pieces to it. The bond measure is a $6.38 billion bond to build kind of a dual set of treatment facilities and housing for people who have mental health challenges or who struggle with substance use disorders. $4.4 billion is reserved for treatment. And then about $2 billion, I'm sorry, about $2 million is reserved for housing. And the second part of the measure would have the state redirect existing mental health funding. What can you tell us about that? So this is maybe the more confusing half of the proposition. There was a tax passed by California voters 20 years ago in 2004 to raise money for mental health services because we've never really adequately funded the system. Um, and so counties have had a lot of flexibility. That tax has raised between 2 and $3.5 billion each year, um, giving counties more flexibility to do community-based and sort of outpatient services for people who have mental health challenges. And the proposal in Prop 1 is asking that counties take 30% of that existing money and use it for housing specifically. And about half of that would have to be set aside for people who are chronically homeless. So why is this measure on the ballot this year? You know, I think that there's not a single person in California who would disagree with the statement that we are failing on homelessness. I think the latest count puts the number of Californians who are unhoused at over 181,000 people. And the vast majority of those people are living on the streets. So it's the governor's sort of plea to the voters and to California residents that this is something that could make a really big dent in the state's homelessness crisis. Um, we can get into the details a little bit more about how likely that is, but certainly the state sort of has a dual homelessness and mental health crisis, and this is an attempt to address those things. Yeah, I, but I mean, is the idea also and the consensus that this is the type of prop that should have come maybe 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, there actually, I mean, there's been billions and billions of dollars poured into homelessness and housing in the state over the years. And um, even, um, I believe in 2018, Californians also had a proposition put before them asking them to 
divert from the same pool of money that Prop 1 is asking to divert some of that money into building housing for the same population. And it's just building housing in California is so hard and so slow. (laughs) And everything runs into a lot of bureaucratic challenges, a lot of lawsuits, a lot of not in my backyard sort of rhetoric. And we haven't been able to keep up with the demand. Our mental health system, you know, has really gone through some major changes as of late, right? It has. There have been a lot of really sort of what advocates and people in the field call seismic shifts in the mental health system. Um, There have been changes. Of course, care court was instituted, which is a way to sort of have family members and first responders can compel people who are untreated and have a serious mental illness into treatment. Um, We also have there has been separate from this proposal, additional investments into building more mental health treatment facilities. And there have been changes to the state's conservatorship laws. And so this is kind of at the state level, what the governor is proposing or saying is that this is sort of the final, the end cap to to make all the puzzle pieces of everything that he's tried to institute in previous years fit together. Hmm. And as we've talked about, Newsom is the biggest proponent of Prop 1. He's amassed a lot of support and funding, more than $14 million so far. What can you tell us about the Yes on One campaign and who's supporting it? Yeah, the Yes on One campaign is supported by a lot of law enforcement, um, a lot of first responders, supported by a lot of uh, the, the coalition of big city mayors. I think that city leaders are often in this sort of difficult position of of their citizens demanding accountability, but actually the responsibility for services is on the county side. Um, and so city politicians, there's also the really big group, NAMI California, has gotten behind this measure as well. So it does have a lot of support, um, and it does have a lot of support in the healthcare space too. You know, you call this the end cap or the the final piece to Newsom's approach to tackling this kind of dual crisis of mental health treatment and homelessness. Is that why he's pushing so hard for it, you think, or or why he's treating it uh, really as a top political priority? I mean, if we're talking about it politically, I think that homelessness is the biggest blemish on his record as the state governor. Um, It's certainly, you know, a problem that's intractable in California and has pre-existed his governorship in the state. Um, But he really did campaign with some big promises on reducing homelessness in California and addressing the affordability, the housing affordability crisis. And in the ensuing years, homelessness has only gotten worse. It's increased by about 40 percent. And so I think that is, you know, of all the promises the governor has made, this is one of the the biggest sort of things that he has not really been able to make a sizable dent in. Hmm. Well, now the no on one campaign has only raised about $1,000 by comparison. Who is behind that no on one campaign? Yeah, the no on one campaign is interesting. It's a very, you know, very much the definition of a grassroots citizens run campaign. Um, It's a lot of people who are working as volunteers, people who work in the mental health space. It tends to be like smaller providers. And then also the biggest advocates are disability rights advocates and people who are current users of the county services, of the county mental health services. 
Well, and let's unpack that. I mean, why might these groups be in opposition to this measure? Yeah, so these groups of people were, it's it's kind of complicated and it, it goes back to the original law that was passed 20 years ago. But these groups of people have been opposed to sort of all the recent changes to the mental health system in California. They're opposed to care court. They're opposed to what they say is an expansion of involuntary treatment in California. And they also were very involved in the crafting of the original legislation that allowed counties to have this extra revenue source to fund community services. And those can be really You know, those are things that you don't necessarily think of as like mental health services. They can be like LGBTQ resource centers or adult day centers or peer support. So that's someone else who also has um, like a mental health disorder who's been through the system. They've, you know, lived with the challenges and they're there to help someone else who's new to it get through the system and figure out how to make it work. And so They see this as, you know, sort of ripping away these community built services and putting it into involuntary treatment. And you mentioned the potential impact on smaller mental health providers. Do we know if the cuts uh, would be significant? Tracking down that number is very hard. (laughs) I've been trying to do it for for many, many weeks. Um, I think at a high state level, the Legislative Analysts Office put out a number that said about $700 million worth of services would have to be cut because, you know, we are taking, this isn't new money, the, the bond measure is new money, but the other half is not new money. It's a reprioritization. So, At the high level, the 30% equates to roughly $700 million of that funding stream. And recently, there have started to be some counties that are willing to quantify it. Uh, Monterey County has said that they might lose $12 million um, should this pass. And a lot of the other smaller and more rural counties that don't tend to have as large of homeless populations are also saying that reprioritizing these, these services wouldn't necessarily even meet the needs of their populations. So how has the Yes on One campaign responded to all of these criticisms? Um, the Yes on One campaign and the governor's office are pretty firm in saying that there will not be service cuts. And part of their argument for that is that the state is making a lot of changes to what can be reimbursed by Medi-Cal and that this change is kind of very in line with other things that the state is doing, that the counties are just going to be able to use this money to maximize their Medi-Cal dollars from that we get an equal amount from the federal government. But I do think that it's fair to say, especially when the counties are saying that they might have cuts because they're the ones who ultimately implement, that a lot of the services like Medi-Cal is medical services. So it's things like paying for counseling, paying for drug interventions um, or paying for medication. And a lot of the community services, the things like those LGBTQ resource centers, like those are not medical interventions and Medi-Cal does not pay for those. And, uh, you know, there's also concern that Prop 1 could worsen homelessness in the state. The AP reports that rural counties like Butte would um, have to divert the same percentage of funds to housing as urban counties like San Francisco. Has that been considered at all? Yeah, I know when, you know, when this this had to make its way through the legislative process before it made it onto the ballot. And that was something that the smaller counties, you know, 
brought up a lot is that they have very different challenges and very different populations from the more densely populated counties in the state. So there is some flexibility written into the language for counties to be able to move money between the various mandated pots based on need. And however, that is also up to state approval. So I think I think there just is a lot of concern that sort of some of this original money was intended for prevention to to keep people stable and to prevent them from sort of spiraling into a state where they may end up homeless and they may end up unable to take care of themselves. And in certain places where they know their population is smaller, like the housing is not necessarily the biggest challenge, they are they are worried about what will happen if they have to cut those services. Mm. From your reporting, is there a sense that county officials are having to choose between addressing homelessness or funding mental health programs? That's a good question. That's a hard one to answer. (laughs) Again, (laughs) because the counties are so different. I mean, I've definitely talked to counties, you know, San Diego, Riverside, other ones, some of the larger ones in Southern California that have sort of more complex programs to begin with. And I think county officials are always, they're always doing the math. They're seeing what kinds of funding streams they can put together for what kinds of populations. Um, And so there are a number of counties whose sort of the local priorities already align with what the state is proposing in this. They wouldn't see as much of a change. So what else should voters know about Prop 1 as they fill out their ballots this year? I think it's it is important to you know keep in mind on the bond measure side that 6.38 billion dollar bond that the estimates the administration has put out for building treatment beds is about 6800 inpatient treatment slots and that would go a long way to addressing the shortage of treatment slots that California currently faces we have a need for about 10,000 treatment beds in the state. And this causes problems all throughout the system. Somebody's in some sort of, you know, mental health crisis, they go to the emergency room, there's nowhere to put them, they're stuck in the emergency room, waiting for a bed forever. And so the bond measure could make a pretty significant impact in terms of the acute inpatient needs of the state. On the housing side, the estimate is 4,350 housing units. And the number of people who are unhoused in the state is 181,000 people. So even um, the the nonpartisan legislative analyst office has said that it really it really would not make a dent in homelessness in the state. I've been speaking with Kristen Huang, CalMatters health reporter. You can learn more about Prop One at our voter hub on kpbs.org. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships 
or hohenmotors.com. 